We're going to read the Bible together now, and we're turning to the Old Testament and to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, and this morning we're reading verses 1 to 11 of Isaiah 40. You'll find our reading on page 599 and 600 of the Pew Bibles, so page 599 over into page 600 of the Pew Bibles. Isaiah 40 is a great chapter which tells us so much about who God is and over these weeks in the run-up to Christmas we're going to be thinking about this chapter. Three sermons on Isaiah 40 in the run-up to Christmas and our first will be on Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 11. So we'll read it together. This is God's word to us. Isaiah chapter 40 beginning at verse 1 and starting on page 599 of the Pew Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, "In, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry and I said what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades But the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Let's pray before we look at the Bible together this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, this morning, as we look at your eternal forever word, we pray that you would comfort us, that you would come close to us, and that you would speak to us all, that you would help us in our walk with the Lord Jesus, and that you would challenge those who haven't yet trusted in him. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would come by your spirit and speak to us this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah 40. We're thinking about Isaiah 40, 1 to 11 together this morning. It's page 599 of the Pew Bibles over into page 600. Uh, this morning we're, we're thinking, uh, we're, we're beginning a series that will focus our minds on the message of Christmas. And in turning to Isaiah 40, you might be thinking, well, this isn't very Christmassy. Where are the shepherds and the angels? How are we going to talk about Christmas from a passage that seems to make no mention of the Christmas story? 
And what we're going to do in these weeks before Christmas is just walk our way through Isaiah chapter 40. And what we'll find, I hope, is that the entire chapter moves our thinking towards the story of Advent and the hope that's found in the Lord Jesus. In this first sermon on Isaiah 40, we're going to be thinking about the comfort of Christmas, the comfort of Christmas. But I wonder if you have a a favorite Christmas carol. We've started singing carols this morning. I will be singing them throughout December. But do you have a favorite? Classic FM, the radio station, produced a a list of the 30 greatest Christmas carols of all time. The list list included, among others, the following. Uh, One of these might be your favorite. O holy night, silent night, in the bleak midwinter, hark the herald angels sing. O come all ye faithful, O little town of Bethlehem. I'll not list all 30, but there is a sense in which we know what time of year it is through the music we sing in church and through the music we hear on the radio. Uh, A carol that is less familiar to us and one that we don't really sing in church on account of it being so old is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. It dates back to the 1650s, so it's properly old. In the first verse and chorus, it, it goes like this. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. O comfort of, of O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. You maybe know it now that you've heard the first verse, but it is an old carol and in some cases not a very popular one. The carol finds its way into Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Christmas Carol. Some carolers come to Scrooge's door and he's less than pleased to hear them. Dickens writes that a caroler stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at the first sound of God rest you merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror. Scrooge was clearly not a fan of that carol. Maybe you aren't either. Whether you are or not is neither here nor there because we start by mentioning that carol because the chorus of it is a good summary of our passage this morning. Isaiah 41 to 11 brings us tidings of comfort and joy. It contains God's message of comfort and what we're going to do is unpack this message together this morning. Before we do that, we need to say a little bit about Isaiah and where we are in this massive Old Testament book. It's 66 chapters long. We're in chapter 40. I'm not going to be able to say everything there is to say about the book as a whole, but let me give you a few lines on it. Isaiah 40 marks a change in the tone and focus of the book. In chapters 1 to 39, Isaiah has been speaking judgment to God's rebellious people. From chapter 40 on, there there are prophecies about events that will happen in the future and what God will do to help his people. We're going to touch on Isaiah 39 in a few moments, but the date and setting of Isaiah 40 to 55 is that it contains prophecies about God's people going into exile in Babylon. The chapters speak to God's defeated people who are under, under worldly dominance And what God, through Isaiah, seeks to do is console his discouraged followers. The message of these chapters is summarized in chapter 40, verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So there's a very noticeable and distinct change of tone from Isaiah 39 into chapter 40. It changes from confrontation to assurance. Final little bit of background on Isaiah is that some people argue that there are multiple authors 
that Isaiah the prophet wasn't the author of the entire book. That leads to people talking about 1st, 2nd and 3rd Isaiah. Most of those theories aren't very credible. Isaiah wrote all of Isaiah and that's where we'll leave it. We'll not complicate any matters any more than we need to. But with all that in mind, let's look at the tidings of comfort and joy that Isaiah provides for us. This morning we're going to think about four things that stand out from this chapter. We're going to see the occasion of the message, the content of the message, the certainty of the message, and the spreading of the message. So first of all, let's look at the occasion of God's message of comfort. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What, what is the occasion of God's message of comfort? Well, it's in the ending of the exile. When it says that Jerusalem's warfare has ended, it's speaking about God's people being under the rule of another country or power. God tells Isaiah to speak tenderly to his people and to tell them that he is going to comfort them. Now, how can we simplify verses 1 and 2? Well, we can understand them in this way. To his people, through Isaiah, God is saying, your exile wandering, that, this exile reality, the sense of failure and disappointment and despondency that has come about because of your attitude towards me, that has, that, that has, gone, on for, that has gone on for long enough. Things are going to change now. Uh, the, the shift in tone between chapters 39 and 40 is really quite dramatic. If you scan your eye over to chapter 39, you'll see Isaiah prophesying the period of coming exile. He says to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried over to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. In other words, there's an awful period coming when you as God's people are going to be taken away from your homes and stripped of everything you have and everything you hold dear. In chapter 40, it's as if Isaiah has fallen asleep at the end of chapter 39. While he slept, Judah was taken into exile. And it's as if in a prophetic dream, Isaiah was lifted into God's heavenly court to hear Judah's predicament being discussed. But now in chapter 40, Isaiah wakes up in a new historical situation. He reveals to God's people what he heard from the heavenly throne room. God is providing a message of comfort. So what is the occasion of God's message of comfort? It's the exile. But how does that message connect with us? Well, the occasion of God's message of comfort is our failure. That is, in some ways, what the exile represents. God's people went into exile on account of their sin and failure and rebellion. And his message of comfort comes to us as people who have failed, maybe quite significantly, in the past week. Some of you are here this morning and recently your life has been marked by patterns and habits that are not pleasing to God. And you might be thinking, well, God has, God has definitely disregarded me. He has definitely cast me aside. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. If the focus of Christianity is our sin, our future would be shut down. But Christianity, and actually the story of Christmas, is all about the saving the saving power and grace of God. 
He overrules our failure by pardoning us through the work of Christ. Do we sin? Yes. Do we suffer for it? Yes. Is that where God leaves us? No. When his discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with his overflowing comfort. We should see in God not a frown, but a smile, not a distance, but nearness. The, the, the amazing thing is that even when we don't act like the people of God, he still identifies with us. He calls us my people and says that he is our God. He still calls us Jerusalem, even when we're far away in exile and in failure. So that's the occasion of God's message. It's our failure. Well, what about the content of this message, though? Well, that's our second point this morning, the content of God's message of comfort. Let's read verses 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, Isaiah hears a, a voice and hears God's comforting message And what is God saying and communicating? Well, three things stand out in verses three to five. One, the king is coming. He comes to us as we are, where we are in the wilderness and desert desert of our real lives. He wants us to get ready to receive him because right now we aren't ready. Now, verses three and five are quoted almost exactly in Luke chapter three. And the point there is that Jesus is the coming king and the readiness we need is newness of life. We can't hide behind the fact that we go to church every Sunday. We can't hide behind the fact that we're good Presbyterians. What we need is newness of life, the new birth. So one, the king is coming. Two, God will accomplish his purposes. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. This isn't talking about literal changes to the creation we see around us. It's talking about the upheaval of true repentance. God, through Isaiah, speaks about what happens when people turn to him. The things that seemed like mountains before are made to look like nothing in light of God's salvation. He's saying that lifting and lowering and leveling and smoothing are necessary for the kingdom of God. He's talking about depression being relieved, pride being flattened, Troubled people becoming placid, difficult people becoming easy. One, the king is coming. Two, God will accomplish his purposes. And three, the glory of the Lord Jesus will be revealed to the whole world. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. His glory will be admired and delighted in and trembled at everywhere. So this is the content of the message. The occasion is the failure of God's people. The content, the content of the message is that the king is coming, God will accomplish his purposes, and the glory of Jesus will be revealed to the whole world. In our day and age, people say that this message is just our truth, that it's just true for Christians who choose to believe it. But that's not what Isaiah says. He, he reminds us, thirdly, of the certainty of the message. The certainty of the message. Let, let, let's read verses 6 to 8. A voice says, Cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah hears another voice, and this voice gives him another message to declare. And it's a strange message. It's the message that we human beings are unreliable. God's promise is infallible, but we are not. And that needs to be said. There's actually a very good illustration of this in chapter 39. After Isaiah's prophecy about the exile, Hezekiah says, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Now what's Hezekiah saying there? He's saying, my people, even my own sons, will be someday slaves in Babylon. But that's not a problem, as long as I can lie comfortably in bed. Even our good intentions are inconstant, like the flower of the field. We blossom only under ideal conditions, not under blasts of real life. And that's actually why Christianity isn't about what we can do. It's about what God promises to do for us. And in that way, Christianity isn't actually about challenge. It's about assurance. It has to be. Oh, only God qualifies for our final trust. And he does so because no human power or condition can stop him. We are the merest grass and flowers, but the word of our God will stand forever. But verses 68 are really encouraging, especially when it feels like the church is weak or doesn't have a lot going for it. Despite all the noise and glitz and glamour of our world, ultimately this is what's going to last. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The message that the king has come, that God will accomplish his purposes, that one day the glory of the Lord Jesus will be revealed to the whole world is certain. People might doubt it. People might think that it's pie in the sky. But here in Isaiah 40, God himself says clearly, this is certain. So the occasion of the message, the content of the message, the certainty of the message, and then fourthly, the spreading of the message. And now we're on to verses 9 to 11. It says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God, through Isaiah, calls on everyone who believes this message of comfort to spread it as far and wide as they can. In verse 9, a herald of good news is mentioned, and what that herald is told to do is go and say to everyone, look, this is who God is. Behold your God. Now, Isaiah is God's messenger, but actually the real messenger is God himself, and you can see that from verse 5. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Ultimately, the messenger is always God, but he chooses to convey his message through human instruments. And that's seen throughout this passage. It's, it's one of its repeated themes. In verse 3, a voice cries. In verse 6, a voice cries. And in verse 9, this herald of good news is mentioned. Now, what's the point? It's that this message is worth spreading. The message of who God is and what he's done is worth spreading. I came across something this week that talked about the life of Keith Green. Uh, you've probably never heard of him. Uh, he was a Christian hymn writer who died in 1982. You've probably never heard of him, but you've definitely sung his most famous, famous, famous hymn, There is a Redeemer. 
Green died at the age of 28 in a small plane crash, but left his mark in a number of different ways, one of which was his passion for, the spread, for spreading the message of the gospel. Let, let me give you two quotes from him. Keith Green once said, This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. And don't you see all the people sinking? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? Now, who is responsible for the spreading of the message? On a human level, it's us. Some of us plant, some of us water. God gives us the growth. What we plant and sow is a simple message. You don't need to know much. You only need the courage to step out and spread it. So the point of verses 9 to 11 is that those who believe the message take the message to their generation. It's that those who believe the message see the people around them who are sinking and do something about it in the hope and prayer that they don't drown. The occasion of the message the content of the message, the certainty of the message, and the spreading of the message. Now, here's a legitimate question that you might have at this point. How does all of that connect with Christmas? This is the first Christmas sermon in the Christmas season. doesn't feel very Christmassy. Well, here's how Isaiah 40 connects with Christmas. Christmas is not about presents, people, and food. No matter what the adverts on TV tell you, no matter what your Facebook news feed tells you, Christmas is not about people, presence, or food. Christmas is actually about failure. Your failure and my failure. That's why all of this happens, or it's supposed to be why all of this happens. The reason, the occasion for Christmas is our sin. You can think about it in this way. If it was not for our sin, Christmas would not happen. Lots of other things wouldn't happen as well because we live in a perfect world. But if it wasn't for our sin, Christmas would not happen. There would be no Christmas. The coming of the Lord Jesus was for our failure, for our sin. Well, what is it that Matthew says about Jesus in the opening of his gospel? Mary will bear a son. She will name him Jesus because he will give people everything they want in terms of material things. He will give people everything they have on their list. He will give them a beautiful family and amazing food as well. N not quite. Not at all, in fact. Mary will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The occasion of Christmas is our failure, our sin. And the content of the Christmas message is that someone has come to clean up our mess, deal with our hearts, and forgive our sins. The king has come. He was born in a manger. God is working out his purposes in our world. In the fullness of time, he sent his son. And one day, the glory of the Lord Jesus will be revealed to the whole world. He, he is the word made flesh, the one who is full of grace and truth. And one day, every knee will bow before him. And until then, we're called to spread tidings of comfort and joy to all those who don't know Jesus, to our colleagues in work, to the family members we'll see over the Christmas period. We're called to invite them to the concert. We're called to invite them to church. And we pray that God speaks to them. It's actually more Christmassy than you think, isn't it? The occasion of the message, failure, sin. The content of the message, 
essentially God's salvation through Jesus, the certainty of the message, you can be sure that this is true, and the spreading of the message. We, we go with com- tidings of comfort and joy. And the comfort is real comfort. That, that, that's the thing about how this passage starts. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. The, the, the meaning of the word comfort in verse 1 is not the meaning of comfort that we're familiar with. It's not an ease of life. The sense is not sitting comfortably by the fire on a December evening, stuffing your face with chocolate and binging on something from a streaming service. No, no, comfort in verse one means the breathing of new life and strength into someone. In Isaiah's day, it was a weak and demoralized community that was just coming out of exile. For us, God's comfort, God's breathing of new life comes through the new birth that's offered through the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 40 begins with the gospel. It's a, it's a gracious declaration and it needs to be announced, believed and rested in. Have you believed it? Are you resting in it? Christmas is a great time to think about that because Christmas isn't just the most wonderful time of year. It's a lovely time of year. <laughs> But it's a time of year that confronts you with the fact that it only happens, it's only marked because of your sin. Yet instead of only confronting you with sin and judgment and death, God, through Isaiah in this 40th chapter, comes tenderly. God says, comfort, comfort my people. I know the mess you've made of your life, but if you trust in me, I will breathe new life into you. Your iniquity will be pardoned. The astonishing thing is that the God of Isaiah 40 is one whose power is without limit and who is uncontainable and unstoppable. But what does he do with that power? For verse 10 speaks of God's mighty arm. What does he do with his power? How does he use his mighty arms? Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. It's such an astonishing paradox. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. The one who, who, who was visited by the shepherds is our shepherd. Will shepherd us. And he will gently carry us and lead us. In that way, Isaiah 40, 1-11, brings us tidings of comfort and joy. It contains God's message of comfort for people who are failures. And that's everyone in this building today. The content of the message is both hope-filled and certain, and it's a message worth spreading as well. Have you believed it? Are you resting in it? And if you're not, what are you going to do about it? Will you receive tidings of comfort and joy from God through his son Jesus this Christmas? Let's pray together. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Father, how we thank you for the comfort of Christmas. How we thank you that you have come to breathe into us new life, to give us the new birth. We thank you that when we run to the Lord Jesus and trust in him, you pardon our iniquities and deal with our failure, that you clean up our mess. How we thank you for this great chapter in Isaiah that 
that takes us to the heart of the Christmas story and points us to the comfort that, that, that comes through the, the, the incarnation, the coming of our Savior, Jesus. Father, help us to believe it. Help us to rest in it this Christmas. And we pray that you'd speak to those and provide comfort for those who haven't yet trusted in Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.